Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whenever you're listening, and welcome to Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the ginger prince of baseball himself, Bob Finkbeiner. Bob, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I am wonderful. It's great to be here talking baseball again, as always. As always. So I want to jump right into some things, uh, but before we do that, because we, we got, you know, there's a lot of baseball, a lot of good baseball to talk about. We got plenty of things happening in Pittsburgh, lots of stuff happening in Cleveland and plenty of stuff going on with the Erie Seawolves as well. But before we get to that, Bob, a couple things I want to talk about. So we have a multi-topic topic of the day today. But the first, the first thing I want to talk about is going to be near and dear to your heart because it's involving pitchers. And actually, the second thing will be near and dear to your heart because it's involving pitchers, too. But let's stick, with the, let's stick with the first one. Let's stick with the first one. Steven Strasburg, Washington Nationals pitcher, who is in the middle of throwing a game tonight when this news broke, has reportedly signed a seven-year, $175 million contract extension with the Washington Nationals. So like I said, this was announced tonight in the middle of his start. He just left the game after surrendering, I think, four runs in six or seven innings and apparently got a standing ovation. So I think everyone in the stadium is now aware of this contract extension news. So what say you, Bob? Signing, I should say he's, you know, all-star Steven Strasburg, but also a Tommy John sufferer, Steven Strasburg, to a seven-year, $175 million contract. What do you think about it? That was going to be my point exactly, was post-Tommy John, Steven Strasburg. Um, I know that there was no way probably possible that Nationals could ever offer a three- or four-year deal instead the marketplace of Major League Baseball, but I would feel a little hesitant about going seven years with a guy after his first Tommy John surgery. So, I mean, if you just look at this contract on the surface, and I haven't seen any of the details online about this deal, I'm assuming that there's probably going to be some option years in there, some club options, some player options. That seems to be like the vogue thing to be doing now. Right. Um, but if you just look at this deal on the surface, seven years, 175 is $25 million a year. That's about the going rate for your aces mm-hmm. nowadays. So you're going to be paying your ace $20, $25 million a year. Tommy John is really not that uncommon of a thing anymore. I mean... No, it's not. <laughs> if you're it's sad, but it's not uncommon right. anymore. I mean, if you're one of the pitchers who hasn't undergone Tommy John surgery in your career, you're in the minority, I would think, for sure. And the hard-throwing population of pitchers undergoes more Tommy John surgeries than the, you know, Stephen Wrights of the world, I suppose. <laughs> so I'm kind of with you. I feel like, I, I mean, good on you, Washington, if you have that money to spend, and that's what you're just going to pay for an ace. I think the thing that I took away from this, and again, this is because I look at the world of baseball through Pirates' gold and black colored lenses, but... I think we just priced Garrett Cole out of our market. Oh, yeah. I think I think Garrett Cole looked at this deal and went, yep, I'm going to do all right. Well, I was going to ask you, do you think, if any, Jordan Zimmerman's uh, performance so far to date had any impetus for the Nationals to try to ink Strasburg sooner than later? That's a good question. I mean, Jordan Zimmerman was, yeah, was, and I think I saw, I want to say John Heyman tweeted it out, but I think it was Jordan Zimmerman was the highest paid Tommy John recipient prior to 
this deal that Strasburg reportedly just signed. So Jordan Zimmerman had just signed, I think, what was it, a hundred million dollar, maybe like five year deal, something like that. Yeah, I think so, something like that. So, yeah, I don't. I'm 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 leery of spending money on pitchers just because of how quickly things can go south. I mean, I guess think to when CC Sabathia signed with the Yankees and everyone was saying, "Oh, CC's going to win his 300th game in New York and he's going to be this great ace for the Yankees." And now you're looking at you know CC Sabathia and thinking he maybe might not even be a good fit in their bullpen. Oh, good one. Go Mike Hampton. Yeah, well, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, oh. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with pitchers' contracts, and the fact that they play 30 games a year. I mean, you're you're to the point where Clayton Kershaw makes a million dollars a start, <laughs> and yeah. is, is that an effective way to spend finances when you're a small to mid market team? Probably not. So, but if you the budget of the Dodgers, though, it's not a problem. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, like I said with the Garrett Cole situation, I think we can basically look at Garrett Cole as when we get down to the last year or two of his deal, he's going to be the player that helps us restock our farm system. Oh, definitely. He'll be that David Price kind of pitcher where I think from the beginning of the next to his last year in Pittsburgh, ESPN will be flashing all of the room, the, the Garrett Cole hot stove trade talk rumors on their bottom line all day long. I see uh, <clears throat> the Pirates and Garrett Cole a lot like the Indians were with Sabathia first and then Cliff Lee next. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, enjoy, it, enjoy it while you got it. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you too. This is kind of, you know, if they can put it down the road. Does this deal by the Nationals in Strasburg does this provide a glimmer of hope for fans in Washington? They might be able to re-sign Bryce Harper down the road, too. This is a show of faith that we will spend money on our top players. My thought is... Well, let me... How do I want to articulate this? My thought is, if you're the Washington Nationals, I guess your top priority is figuring out how do you make Bryce Harper a national for life. Right. And so I'm thinking if you are spending this money on Strasburg that you're doing it independently of whatever money you're going to be putting away to sign Bryce Harper to his $400 million contract or whatever <laughs> money he's going to command. It's, I mean, it, if he keeps getting walked or hit by pitches in seven consecutive at-bats or whatever, he's, <laughs> he's going to command a lot of money on the open market. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good showing of the Nationals saying... We like to pay our talent, but I think they're definitely doing that independently of whatever they're going to be paying Bryce Harper. That's without me having like a real good, without having any real finger on the pulse of how Washington spends their money or how much money they have to spend, I guess. Right. And don't be surprised, Nationals fans, if your ticket prices just increase overnight. <laughs> season tickets just got a lot more expensive next season, didn't they? It reminds me of... Uh... The Detroit Red Wings in hockey, when they signed Sergei Fedorov to a deal, and almost everything concession, concession stand wise went up by a quarter overnight. <laughs> yeah, we got to pay for those contracts somehow. That's right. Well, great deal for the Nationals. If you're a Nationals fan, it is definitely a good day to be a Nationals fan with that news, that's for sure. And Strasburg is one of the more electric players to, to watch when he steps on that mound. I still remember his first. Do you remember his first start 
against oh, yeah. the Pirates. Yeah, filthy. I mean, it was it was the stadium was electric. It was an amazing game to to watch. It was an amazing game to to be a part of as a fan. Even though he, I think he he dominated Pittsburgh. Did I think he surrendered a home run maybe to someone? I want to say Kutch maybe. <laughs> well then. But he struck out. He struck out like ten batters or something in his his first start against the Pirates. It was. I thought it was. I thought it was fourteen strikeouts and no walks. <laughs> yeah, that might have been it. It was something ridiculous. And then his second start came against Cleveland, actually. <laughs> not a good couple of days for our franchises. No, not not so good. <laughs> I kind of want to go back and look at that. I'll have to do that when we uh, we get a little break here. I want to go take a look at his first start against the Pirates and see what that line was. So uh, okay, we we done with anything else we want to talk about with Strasburg? I think we're good there. Okay. So I want to talk about another... We have another topic of the day before I move on, and this is very rare for us to talk about two things, but this has been a a very interesting discussion that I've been kind of carrying on for the last few days, and I want to bring you in on this just to to get your opinions. But So the other day we were taking a look at Nolan Ryan and, and how ridiculous his stats were and his outrageous pitch counts and his <laughs> ridiculous innings pitch during seasons and stuff, and... And it kind of got me thinking. So Nolan Ryan in his career threw seven no-hitters, the most by any pitcher in baseball. But, you know, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that Nolan Ryan never won a Cy Young Award. That's right. That's kind of wild, isn't it? Big time wild, in my opinion. Seven seven no-hitters in your career. You couldn't lock down one Cy Young? It's crazy. So then I got to thinking, if you're Nolan Ryan, I mean, you have the arguably one of the most impressive um, records in baseball with the seven no-hitters. But do you think Nolan Ryan would trade any of his no-hitters for Cy Young Awards? So let me ask you this, Bob. If you were Nolan Ryan, A, would you trade any of your no-hitters for Cy Youngs? And B, if you would, how many no-hitters would you trade for a Cy Young Award? That's a great question. If I was Nolan Ryan... I would say I'm going to keep all seven of my no-hitters and forego any signing awards and let the rest of my body of work talk for itself. See, that's kind of how I feel. Do you, so let me ask you this. Do you think that the seven no-hitters are more impressive than one Cy Young award? I do, and this is, this is the reason why. Okay, now hang on, hang on, because okay. I, I want to keep going with this. Do you think his seven no-hitters are more impressive than two Cy Young Awards? Yes. Do you think his seven no-hitters are more impressive than three Cy Young Awards? Hmm. Three might be the plus-minus breaking point. I I still want to say yes. I do think all seven are more important still. So let's... uh. Let's see if we can. Uh... Can I go and explain, explain why now? Yeah. Okay. So let's 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 hear you explain your your rationale behind keeping all of this the no hitters in lieu okay. of a Cy Young. Okay. Because Nolan Ryan obviously uh, pitched for I believe I want to say twenty seven parts of twenty seven different seasons, and I want to say I think I have to look this up or maybe you can check it out for me. His first no hitter that he threw with the Angels was around 1972-73. And I believe one of those years he may have thrown two no-hitters in the same season. I look at that and say, as Nolan Ryan's the player, 
you're spanning the 1970s, the advent of the DH, or designated hitter in the American League, and it's still dominating. You threw an enormous amount of pitches, innings pitched, everything else. You went through the 1980s, 90s steroid era, and at age, what, 45, still throwing no hitters? To me, like his performance has crossed all sorts of different eras of baseball in modern times to basically prove, in my mind, how dominant he really was. Okay, so let's see. Uh, Pedro Martinez, three Cy Young Awards. Tom Seaver, three Cy Young Awards. Jim Palmer, Sandy Koufax, and Clayton Kershaw, all currently three Cy Young Awards. Would you say that Nolan Ryan's seven no-hitters more impressive than all of those players' three Cy Young Awards? I do. You think? Now, let's go Greg Maddox, four Cy Young Awards. I still do. Really? I do. Steve Carlton, four Cy Young Awards also. How about Randy Johnson, five Cy Young Awards? Uh, Randy's a lot like, I think, Nolan, just from the left side and a lot bigger. <laughs> so, and here's something else to consider, too. I guess I should have brought this up with Maddox just to see if it changes your opinion. But So Maddox won his first Cy Young in 92 with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. His second Cy Young in 93 with the Braves. His third Cy Young in 94 with the Braves. And his fourth Cy Young in 95 with the Braves. So Maddox won all four of his Cy Youngs in consecutive years. Change your opinion at all? No. Not at all? No, because again, <clears throat> I look at his body of work, and it's relatively in a short time span. How about Randy Johnson and his five? What what was what'd you say about Randy Johnson's five? Would you take the seven no-hitters over five Cy Young awards? I'd be more hesitant in that, in that, in that comparison, probably. <laughs> How about... Okay, so, I mean, Roger Clemens, the all-time leader in Cy Young Awards. Roger Clemens has seven Cy Young Awards. But see, I think Clemens, though, again, is similar to Nolan, only Ryan didn't benefit from pitching in big markets. That obviously, I think, helped Roger Clemens out in gaining the popularity and support of winning the Cy Young Award in the first place. So you still think seven... You you would take seven... No hitters over seven Cy Young Awards. In this case, no, because I think Clemens and Ryan are very comparable as okay. far as the longevity that they, that they pitched, their dominance overall. So I think I think that Clemens is a benefactor of the pitching in the big market with teams that won a lot of games. I mean, look right. at Nolan Ryan's losses. I know it's a bad way of evaluating a pitcher who wins and losses, but still, it plays a role in, in the voters' minds. And Nolan Ryan's losing. 18 games with the Angels, but winning 22. Yeah, and he's pitching into the eighth inning every game and throwing 212 pitches. <laughs> right. Yeah. I and mean, that doesn't get a lot of support. And then playing for the Astros teams that were terrible. The Rangers in the 1990s were not very good. I mean, he, he has a history of playing for teams that just were not as good as a 1985 you know, Red Sox or late 90s Yankees teams and Blue right. Jays. So here's can can I can I share my opinion on this debate? Absolutely. Abs- yeah. I, I'm 100% on board. I think the seven no hitters is way more impressive than uh, two Cy Youngs, three Cy Youngs. When I get to four Cy Youngs, if you're telling me that I could do a one to one swap of no hitters for Cy Youngs, if we got to four, 
I think I would do it. So okay. I think Maddox is four, Carlton's four, Randy Johnson's five, and Roger Clemens seven. I would probably put up there with Nolan Ryan's seven no-hitters. And I think that's because if you are racking up Cy Young's, like Greg Maddox was, and I, I, I was too young to kind of really realize how amazing Greg Maddox was, but for like a four-year stretch, Greg Maddox was absolutely amazing. Like he was the best pitcher in baseball from 19, I don't know, 91 or 92 when he started winning the Cy Youngs to like 96, 97, whenever Pedro really kind of hit his stride with the Expos. Um, and so I think if you're talking about like, okay, well, we can take these four no hitters out of here and give you these four Cy Youngs, then you're going to be doing some pretty amazing things to win those Cy Youngs too. <laughs> so that's kind of my take on that. I think the threshold for me trading no hitters for Cy Young is four and above. And then I would only do it if it's like a one-for-one one swap. Have you ever gone back, though, and looked at the years that Ryan was very deserving of a, of a Cy Young Award and did not get one? Oh, yeah. Nolan <laughs> Nolan Ryan has some of the most ridiculous... Like, it's, it's comical uh, by today's standards because I think we're so used to, like, oh, he's at 100 pitches in the fifth inning. We're going to take him out of this game now. Like, right. if you go look at Nolan Ryan's statistics, and if you read his book about pitching, um, which, you know, I know you have because we've, you know, talked about it and looked at it before um, as far as incorporating it into our own coaching. But, like, it's it's ridiculous. In 1974, for the Angels, he threw 332 innings. Yeah. 332 <laughs> innings. And he had an ERA plus of 118. That's that's ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, you're talking about he he had a 2.89 ERA in 332 innings, and he struck out 367 batters, and he he didn't win the Cy Young that year. <laughs> like that's pretty crazy. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to go back in time and ask the writers who voted for the award, what what he had to done to get the award, <laughs> right? Like, that wasn't good enough for you. What more does he need to do? Right. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So uh, that was a fun discussion. I, I enjoyed that. Anything right. else Anything else that you want to talk about as pertaining to the no-hitter Cy Young debate? No. That was just a very good debate. Good topic to discuss. Yeah, I think we're both – I don't really think it was a debate because I think we're both on the same side of that coin. Yeah. We're both very pro no hitter. I think the no hitter is a very the seven no hitters is a very impressive feat. Oh, I love it. One you can almost say, well, you know, good for at night, but does it have any longevity? But then you get the two and three and plus, now I'm thinking, <laughs> all right, yeah, this guy's the boss. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty <laughs> good. He's a seven. One of them he had to. Oh, I I when was his last no hitter? One of them he threw when he was like in his forties. I want to say it was he was forty four or forty five. I think he was pitching for the Rangers. Yep, against the Blue Jays. And I think the foul out of the game was a strikeout of a young Robbie Alomar. <laughs> Nolan Ryan, go to base, do yourself a favor, baseball fans. Go to baseball reference tonight and just look at Nolan Ryan's statistics. It's amazing. Amazing. He was, oh, just, I, could, I could literally just talk all day about Nolan Ryan's stats. <laughs> but. I digress. We we do need to talk about the Pirates and Indians tonight, Red, because that's what people tune in for. <laughs> so uh, 
the Pirates were swept by the Cubs, if you haven't been paying attention. And this was some sad news. It was not a pretty series. I don't think people really appreciate the start that the Chicago Cubs are off to this season. It's, it's, it's historic. It is. I refuse to say an historic. It is a historic start. Yes. I don't. I don't believe in the an before historic because it's not a vowel sound. It just. It's not right. <laughs> but the the Cubs are off to a. They're off to a crazy start. I mean, it's. It, it's a ridiculous start. Their uh, run differential, it, which is. I mean, people are throwing around run differential with the Cubs because it's crazy that their run differential has climbed to the point that it is at already. Um, but but the Cubs uh, run differential going into today was plus 102. The next highest team in baseball is plus 44. The Mets are plus 44. I mean, it's it's crazy. Red here's well, here. Let me add this to you. I was watching the the very start yesterday of the game between the Royals and Indians, and announcers were calling a game. We're talking about the Cubs start this year because I mentioned the White Sox hot start, and I mentioned the Cubs. And this is something that you'll appreciate. They said that the Cubs' uh, 100 plus run differential occurred in what the 26th, 27th game of the season is the earliest point of a season to reach that margin since the 1903 Pirates, I believe they said. <laughs> Let's go Bucks. That's right. <laughs> they were actually in 1903 probably real Pirates that they well, had recruited to play baseball. And the 03 Pirates were the first, they, they were the part of the first ever World Series against the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. That's uh, a very long time ago. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> very, very long time ago. Uh, the Cubs right now are on pace, so th- their winning percentage is 800. They're winning 80% of their games. They're 24 and 6 right now. I mean, if they were to keep this pace up all season, they would win 130 games. Which I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and say I feel pretty secure that the Cubs are not going to win 130 games. But I mean, just factor. So just factor in that the Cubs are. From this from this point forward, play on a, a hundred win pace. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still going to finish outrageously far. I mean, they'll win a hundred and they'd probably win a hundred and five games or something like that if they right. played just a hundred win pace the rest of the season. So the the Cubs are very good, very very good. And the thing I've realized with the Cubs becoming good, by the way, is I loved Joe Madden a lot more when he didn't manage in my division. <laughs> like all of his shenanigans were a lot cuter when he was in the AL East with the Rays and they were the underdogs. They are not quite as cute when he's with the powerhouse Cubs and they're just thumping on the pirates. I don't, I don't find Joe Madden as endearing in Chicago as I did in Tampa. So uh, I guess that's a long way around of saying that Pittsburgh's already eight games back behind the Cubs, which is uh, not good considering we are <laughs> Just wrapping up the first week of May, so it looks like Pittsburgh is probably playing for a wild card again. Shockingly. <laughs> so this uh, past weekend, uh, Pittsburgh actually took two out of three from St. Louis, and I have to say I am not the biggest fan of St. Louis Cardinals fans. They they are self-referential as the best fans in baseball, <laughs> and... 
I don't know. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way that you refer to yourself as the best fans in baseball, I guess. I don't know. But I don't know. It was it was a very nice David Freeze returned to St. Louis for the first time since he was traded. And uh, St. Louis St. Louis fans were were very uh, polite and and very appreciative of his time in St. Louis as he came into a game Saturday and he was announced as a pinch hitter and he received a standing ovation from the St. Louis fans when he was announced. And then they did the same thing again on Sunday. And uh, when they did that, Yadier Molina took a minute, kind of stood out in front of home plate when, you know, like he was going to go talk to the pitcher so the fans could give him his his ovation. And he could tip his cap again. It was kind of it was it was very neat. It reminded me a lot of when A.J. Burnett returned to Pittsburgh. After he left and went to the Phillies and mm-hmm. Pittsburgh had that little video tribute for him of all, all of his his greatest hits in Pittsburgh. And. It was it was kind of a it was kind of that same uh, endearing moment for for David Freeze. So it was kind of cool to see. More importantly, this weekend than David Freeze getting standing ovations, however, though, is that Jung Ho Gong returned off the DL very stealthily. Yes, I don't know. Were were you following kind of like the <laughs> the play by play of Jung Ho Gong's return? It's, yes, I, I saw it. Yeah. It started out with so there was a very uh, there was a, a very cryptic. Instagram post from Francisco Cervelli. It was a picture of him and Gong both in suits, like traveling to St. Louis. And he was, the, the, you know, they were both smiling. And I forget what the caption of the picture said. And it was right after Jason Rogers had been sent back down to Indianapolis. So nobody really knew what was going on until they saw that picture with Cervelli and Gong. And then people kind of put it together like, oh, Gong's coming back this series. <laughs> and he returned with a bang immediately homering twice in his first game back uh, Friday night against St. Louis. So it's good to have Gong back. He was actually in the lineup tonight. You can tell that. So uh, tonight when they were playing the, uh, the Reds Gong was at third and you can tell he's not quite, you know, he's just, I, I don't think he's going to be healthy all year. I think this is something where he's going to be playing and we're going to be saying like 80% of Gong is better than no Gong at all. <laughs> But someone, and I can't remember who it was, but someone for the Reds came up and <laughs> literally, I think John Wayner had just said, well, the real test for Gong will be when they start laying bunts down and he's got to run in on them. And it was like that next pitch, the guy laid a bunt down right down the third baseline. And you could tell like it was a a bunt that you would have thought if there would have been like a play, you know, like you would have thought that they would have charged, a third baseman would be charging it, barehanding it, making a throw to first. And when the camera you know, pulled back and you saw that zoomed back look of the field, like Gong still was charging the ball and you're like, Ooh, yeah, he's not going to even have a play on this one. So I don't, I think it's going to be a whole year of that where he's probably not going to be right all year. I'm assuming if he's playing on his leg and he's already kind of looking like that, but you know, the, the offense was there. He, he clearly has figured out major league pitching. He clearly is going to be an, an offensive contributor. So it's, probably going to be a case where we'll kind of take what we can get and try and put you in situations to be successful at third base the best we can. And Huntington has already stated he's only going to play two out of every three games or, you know, some kind of schedule like that until he's back to feeling comfortable out in the field. So I think it's just going to be managing his health more than anything this season. Um, the next thing I want to talk about Gregory Polanco who 
I, I don't know how much you've been watching the Pirates, but Polanco is kind of turning into an all-star right in front of us, Bob. He has developed quickly. Well, he's doing what the, he's doing the things that we thought Polanco should have been doing. It's just right. when he first came up, he had that stretch of dominance right away for like a couple weeks. He had like figured out major league pitching and then major league pitching figured him out. And, you know, you kind of saw this back and forth of adjustments. And mm-hmm. this year from, you know, from the starting block, he's been just locked in his walk rate is better than a strikeout rate at this point in the season. Um, you know, he's hitting over 300. His on base is over 400. He's slugging over 500. He has, you know, he has that ridiculous triple slash, the 300, 400, 500 triple slash, where you're like, man, this is good. His at-bats look good. His swings look good. I don't know. The only negative that I really have about Gregory Polanco's game right now, which has been kind of bothersome since he's come up, but his base running is still just at, at times it's, it's like high school coach frustrating. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like we coach baseball, you, you know what it's like when someone runs themselves out on the bases and you're sitting there in the dugout thinking to yourself, why, why would you ever do that? Why, why would you be running to second there? That was, that was not smart. He does, he does that a lot a lot of times the sliding has gotten better there were points last year where i just thought he just didn't know how to slide at all so the sliding has not looked ridiculous so apparently we've made some strides in that area but the base running still <laughs> somewhat bothersome at times i'd i'd settle for less toot blands on the base paths that's for sure so where are we at with pittsburgh through um well, what are we at now? I think these I wrote up uh, I wrote up this agenda when we were 29 games. So Pittsburgh right now their record is uh, 17 and 15. Yes, that's right. So we're 17 and 15 after tonight, so 32 games. Um and I don't know actually, I don't think Fangraphs will have these stats updated after the Reds game tonight, but it'll be pretty close. Um so it probably won't have the the Reds game factored in, but Going into tonight, the bullpen ERA this year was 4.38 in 113 innings pitched. I don't know if you know much about bullpens, Red. An ERA over four. Not good. Pretty bad. Pretty Pretty bad. I mean, it's not like Red's bad. They're like six and a half, and their closer to start the year is now in, I don't know, Sugar Land. I don't know where they send J.J. Hoover. (laughs) He's the place where bad relief pitchers go. But it's still pretty bad. 4.38 in 113 innings pitch. Just to, to give you some perspective, uh, at the end of 2015, the Pirates' bullpen ERA was 2.67. So uh, so last season, about, I don't know, two runs better. <laughs> um, in those 113 innings pitch, they have 96 strikeouts and 56 walks. They've surrendered 15 home runs this season. And again, just to give you some more perspective, in 2015, they surrendered 38 homers all season long. So if this pace were to keep up, I mean, the bullpen would be giving up way more home runs than they did last year. This is the, And that's a problem because <laughs> yes, it is. the Pirates really count on their bullpen to not blow those leads. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the pitching is an area where I'm really like I the offense is 
firing on all cylinders. I mean, Pittsburgh's offenses look great all season long, top to bottom. They scored 158 runs uh, this season. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's more than every team in the National League East. I mean, they're, they're putting runs on the board. But the problem, again, is just that pitching. You can look at the starters and you have the same problem. The starters ERA on the year going into tonight was 4.17 in 170 and two-thirds inning pitched. Uh, the starters have only struck out 155, and they've walked 79 batters with 22 home runs allowed. Starters for the Pirates are walking 10.6% of the batters they face. So that's up about 3% from last year when they were walking 7.2% of the batters they faced. And their fly ball rate is up to 31.3%, which is up about 5% from last year's 26% uh, fly ball rate as well. So there's a lot of things. Uncle Ray's got his work cut out for him this year. And you saw it tonight. John Neese gave up, I think, three solo home runs tonight. I mean, John Neese is a 50% ground ball pitcher, Bob. And he's giving up these these ridiculous home runs. Like, the ball needs to be on the ground. You can't... You know, he left a changeup right over the middle. They got... You know, Joey Votto took the opposite field. So all of this has got me thinking. I don't know how much you've been paying attention to the Pirates farm system, but they have some pretty good pitchers in their system. Yes, they do. Yeah. And they're looking pretty phenomenal in their last couple outings. So Tyler Glasnow, who is arguably Pittsburgh's sexiest prospect right now. <laughs> Saturday, he threw a season high seven innings. So he's kind of ramping up the the pitch counts. He struck out 11 uh, Louisville batters and he gave up four hits and just one walk. So if you look at Glasnow on the year, he's now thrown 33 innings. He has an ERA of 1.64 and a FIP of 1.81. So he's really pitching to what his true talent level is in those 33 innings. He struck out 48 batters. <laughs> yeah, that's some stanky stuff. He's only walked 13. So he has a, what is it? A base on ball per nine of three and a half, which is pretty good relative to, you know, last year he had eight starts in AAA and his walk, uh, walks per nine was 4.83. So he's really done a good job of kind of reeling in that control. So I, I think at this point, you're kind of looking at the pirates rotation and you're thinking <laughs> we've got Liriano, we've got Cole, and then we've got somebody who's going to be out of our rotation once we get past Glasnow Super 2 status. What do you think about Tyler Glasnow in the Pirates rotation? It can't come soon enough. That's exactly it, right? They're, <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's just really a financial thing, I think, isn't it? I think so. But how about this? Let me ask you this. What's the harm, possibly? I mean, there's always probably harm with this, but why not consider bringing him up now? And then if the Pirates can't close that gap between them and the Cubs a little bit, send them back down for a spell, you know, in late June, early July, August, and then bring them back up. It still, it still affects the service time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't. I guess I don't know how it works with the, the Super 2. I mean, do you have to be past that Super 2 status before you call someone for it to affect that clock? Or is it all just purely based on just the number of days that you're on the roster for the I Super thought, 2? I thought well, service time is why I thought I understood it as. I thought I read before that... So if a player has options and you shuttle him up and down, then theoretically it might not affect his 
um, Super 2 status? That's why I thought. Because I'm pretty sure it's either Blake Snell with the Rays or someone else similar to him that the organization was going to bring him up now, pitch a spot start or two, send him back down, and still leverage his their service his service clock in a way that they would have the extra year control still. Right. I mean, that would make sense because that's what they did. You know, the, the Rays did do that with Blake Snell. They called him up for that spot start and then shipped him back down. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, I guess Pittsburgh's biggest fear in that would be that Glasnow is so good that you can't send him back down. Oh, and, right. And then you lose that extra year of control. But I mean, that would be a, a very logical uh, thing to do, I guess, if you were trying to see like, well, can we take a stab at trying to close this eight game gap that we've created already? Um, so I don't, I mean, I look at, <laughs> I look at Nice, maybe not so much Nice just because of the money that he's owed. Yeah. But I mean, I, I look at Nice, Nicasio and Locke and I feel oh, like they probably I, have got to feel the bullseye on their back pretty big right now. He mentioned his name. I have to ask you again, what is the current temperature of the Cy Young Juan Nicasio? Our Juan, you know, I meant to make a Juan Nicasio Cy Young thermometer this weekend. And uh, I just never got around to it. I would say the Juan Nicasio Cy Young Award thermometer has not changed since our last podcast. We are we are tepid. We're not <laughs> we're not hot, but we're not cold. We're we're warm. We're warm. We're past the the blue on the bottom, and we're up to like the yellows, the yellows maybe. Mm-hmm. That's in my head what I visualize it. And he's okay. striking out batters. He's got a 3.16 ERA. His FIP, though, sings a little different story. It's about a run higher. But sometimes you get better be lucky than good, Red. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the the other starting pitcher that just got me thinking about the bullseye on those guys back and how they they just they've got to be they got to be feeling the heat. They just got to be feeling it. Uh, Jamison Talion has been lights out. So the 24 year old righty who was uh, the Pirates' first-round pick back in 2010, has has been outstanding in AAA Indianapolis, which is pretty impressive considering he hasn't played a major league game, or he hadn't played a major league game since, or a, a minor league game, a professional game since 2013 coming into this season. So far in Indianapolis, he's thrown 30 innings, uh, 1.19 ERA, 1.82 FIP, so everything's kind of lining up. He has a 235 BABIP, but he hasn't been walking anybody. And that's that's really the thing. He's walking 0.89 batters per nine. Uh, so that comes out to three batters walked in 30 innings. I mean, it's outstanding. Um, he had a st- I th- I'm pretty sure he started tonight, Jamison Talion. Um, so, you know, those numbers will probably be updated pretty soon if they haven't been updated already. Um, but... Again, he's doing a great job in AAA. And he's a guy, too, just because of his age now. He's getting to the point, you know, he's 24 years old. He's doing his job down in AAA. He doesn't have much left to prove other than can he just stay healthy. And I think he's a guy that's really going to be putting the pressure on three, four, and five starters in the Pirates rotation, where if it we're getting <laughs> close to that Super 2, you know, we're getting to early June and you're not pitching, you it better feel a little nervous in that Pirates rotation. What do you think about Talion and his prospects of, of potentially stepping into the Pirates rotation? 
I think you said it best. It's just a matter of him staying healthy and then uh, just keep performing the way he has been. I just looked right now. He did pitch tonight, as you mentioned. He went seven strong innings, five hits, three runs, three earned, one walk, six Ks. Got a loss. Tough luck, tough luck loss. Yeah, I. he's been an exciting player since he was drafted in 2010. How about obviously. this one, then? I'll pose this question for you. If given the option of calling one of the two up, which one do you choose first? If you're telling me I have to to just pick one over the other, I would pick yes. Glasnow, and I wouldn't even hesitate, just okay. because I think Glasnow stuff just plays up. I mean, Glasnow has he has elite, you know, an elite fastball. He has like that that 70, 80 grade fastball, and he has a plus curveball. I think with with Talion, you're more he has a a good you know he has that that plus fastball. Um, but I, I just I don't think it's as electric as as Glasnow's. I mean, Glasnow's fastball is explosive. It's <laughs> you know it's coming. And how tall is he? He's it's like, it's coming from that yeah like a a six seven frame. I mean he's. <laughs> it's like Randy Johnson with the right side. Right, right, exactly. So I don't know. I if you made me pick, I would I would probably pick Glasnow, and just hope that his stuff plays up. Um, a little bit better, you know. The command is always the the question with him, but I, you know, I think Glasnow has a chance to be, you know, uh, an elite starter, or certainly no, you know, his his floor is that good number two starter in your rotation. Mm-hmm. So that's about where we're at with Pittsburgh right now, chasing the Cubs already. And that's not a good feeling to have in May, but oh well, we've been. Doing the wild card thing for a few years now, so I guess we'll just kind of brace ourselves for it. So uh, let's talk about the tribe a little bit, Red. What's going on in Tribe Town? Well, I uh, <clears throat> it was interesting because last, I guess, not this most recent weekend, but weekend before, I was bragging to a friend of mine and said, got the brooms for a sweep in Philadelphia. Uh, little did I know, though, it'd be a sweep of our tribe. <laughs> that, that, that sweep went the wrong way. Yeah, it was, you know, every game was decided by one run. So it was very frustrating to watch. But they be- they uh, came back strong from that disappointment to take all three games from the Tigers, where they outscored them 19-5. to They took two of three from the Royals over the weekend, which is also nice to see. I saw a stat, I, I can't remember for sure how it went, but Josh Tomlin, I want to say is now 8-0 and or 9-1, and something ridiculous, you know, pitching after the Indians have lost the day before, which is nice little, you know, come back, team back on the road again. He's kind of your stopper. Yes. Um, to your disappointment and mine as well, the Tribe optioned Tyler Naquin back to AAA Columbus. They recalled Cody Anderson for the game Saturday. And Cody Anderson promptly allowed another home run in the top of the first. And then think about this for a moment. He has thrown 25 innings pitched. He has allowed 40 hits and seven home runs. <laughs> this The Naquin demotion was sad on a lot of different levels. <laughs> well, and it leads to this question. In his place in center field was not Rajay Davis. They put Lonnie Chisenhall in center field. Yeah, wasn't that wild? 
I thought, what in the world? But yeah, I was like, wow. So Tito's gone to a three-man three man bench with eight relief pitchers right now for time being. <laughs> Terry Francona just, he goes wild with those bullpens. Oh man, I, I just... If they made know. if they made a video about Terry Francona's managing styles, it would be called uh, "Bullpens Gone Wild." Yeah. Uh, some on the injury front, some sad news. Roberto Perez, he was diving to tag a runner, trying to score home, and his right hand had the ball grass in it, right beside his glove, but not in the not together as one. And he sort of jammed his right thumb. Well, needless to say, he fractured it. So he's out for about two or three months now. And then the tribe went ahead and traded for Chris Jimenez of the Tigers for cash considerations. It is Jimenez's third stint now with the Indians. And he will be the, back, he will be the backup catcher to uh, Young Gomes for the time being. Yeah, so nothing, uh, nothing too sexy there. 30, no, that's a little major. Uh, 33-year-old Chris Jimenez stepping in as the backup catcher doesn't uh, elicit a lot of excitement. This year he hit a home run. That was nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rotation-wise, ERA, kind of comparing the Pirates and Indians a little bit. They currently are 10th in Major League Baseball with 3.65 ERA. Last season, they were 10th with 3.94, so performing a little bit better year-to-date. The bullpen is a different story. This year... Uh, right now, 17th in all baseball, 3.87. Last year, not as good as Pirates, but pretty solid, 3.12. Okay. And hitting-wise, they've gotten better recently, scoring more runs. They cut back the uh, K rate quite a bit. Uh, they're walking about the same as last year, about an 8.5% clip. So that's good to see. A uh, couple more things to mention. Giovanni Urshela was awarded the international... League player of the week a couple weeks ago. He got off to a dreadful start and then caught fire recently. And then last, I want to end with a debate question for you. Considering Cody Anderson's struggles in rotation, I can't imagine him having a long leash. And there are two guys currently pitching in AAA, Columbus. Mike Clevenger, a right-hand pitcher. He was one that they acquired in the 2014 trade for Vinny Pistano and the Angels. And also a soft tossing left-hander named Ryan Merritt. And since our good friend Dan in Buffalo is a big Clevenger fan, which of the two do you think gets to call up to replace Cody Anderson? One. And two, will it be sooner or later? Dan in Buffalo is a big Mike Clevenger fan. Could be Mike Clevenger's biggest fan, actually. Dan would head the Mike Clevenger fan club. And he uh, has some awesome hair, by the way, too. Mike Clevenger? Yes, it is sweet. Really? You look it up sometime. I'll yeah, I'll Google Mike Clevenger's uh, hair here in a minute. Uh, I okay. So let's say let's let's go to the first part of that. I think <laughs> I don't think Cleveland's going to keep trotting Cody Anderson out there because I don't think Cody Anderson is a very good baseball player. I don't <laughs> I don't think they're going to keep letting him go out there and get blown up. So I think at some point they are going to have to address. Uh, the issue with Cody Anderson. Right now, Mike Clevenger's pitching well in AAA. He has a 303 ERA and a 324 FIP. 
when you you look at his numbers, he's striking out a batter per inning. Mm-hmm. The walk rate's a little high. He's walking four and a half batters per nine. Um, so across his 29 innings, he's walked 15 batters. Um, so you know it's a, it's a you probably want to see that a little bit lower. You know, last year in Double A, um, in in Akron, he had a base on balls per nine a 2.28. So you probably want, you know, you're probably going to settle for somewhere in the middle when you start getting up to this level. He probably should have a walk rate somewhere around three, I would think. Um, so that's really what I would be paying attention to with Clevenger um, over his next couple starts is, you know, does he reel in that command a little bit? Um, it doesn't sound like it's it's killing him because, you know, his FIP and his ERA pretty much line up. Um, so, you know, he's doing okay with with surrendering the the hits. He only has 25 hits given up in those uh, 29 and two thirds innings. So yeah, I, th- I think if you're talking about, do you want to get the best player in that rotation? I think Clevenger's probably going to be the, the better player out of the two. Um, so I think that's probably who I would be looking for if I were talking about replacing Cody Anderson internally. I don't know. What do you think about that situation? You have, you have more of your finger on the pulse of, of Cleveland's farm system. I agree. I think Clevenger's the man to go to next. He's the one who's making <clears throat> a lot of strides since the, since the acquisition of him. But I just I wonder though, just for some balance, if you consider the left-hander merit though too. But obviously, I would choose the best player overall, irregardless of ready or lefty. Right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Clevenger's he's 25, so you're getting to that point where. Oh yeah. Again, you know, he's been successful in the minors. He's made his way to AAA. You probably should be looking at okay, and let's give this kid a crack here. You know, last year he threw 158 innings. So, you're probably going to be looking to top that again this year. So, yeah, I I mean, maybe you give him a few more starts down in AAA, but I think at some point you're looking at okay, <laughs> let's let's give the kid a shot and see what he can do. I just I'm concerned about his walk rate though. It's, it's almost Trevor Bauer esque right now. Yeah, yeah. They he's really he does he needs to reel in the walks at least like I said get it down to a more reasonable like three per nine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, anything else with the tribe that we want to touch on? Uh, no. I, I know. Let me let me tell you one of my biggest joys, and so it's been kind of nice. You know, last week we went and watched uh, the SeaWolves play. Um, Altoona, which we're going to talk about a little bit. So I've been missing some Pirates games. You know, I was watching, um, you know, some minor league baseball this past week. And then the Pirates have had some games where they're playing off times when the Indians are playing. So I've had a chance to watch a couple Indians games, whereas I just sometimes I, you know, or traditionally the Indians are going to play at the same time slot as the Pirates. Correct. And watching Francisco Lindor play defense is just oh so much fun it's magical it's oh, yes. it's magical bob it's it's like it's like when we went to go watch him play and you know and and I'll tell the story until the I'll I'll be on my deathbed telling the story but when we went to go watch Francisco Lindor play in in Lake County and you could just tell you're like ah he's just so much better than everybody here is <laughs> like but I feel like that when I'm watching him in the majors I'm like oh he should not be so good at fielding baseball but he just is oh it, it, I mean, it's it's almost eerie how much he reminds me of Omar Vizquel and just how smooth they are. Um, 
he's he's Lindor is a real treat to watch. I'm I'm so excited that Francisco Lindor is in Cleveland and that he's successful. It it makes my heart happy watching Lindor play. It makes me very happy. <laughs> he's so much fun to watch, and you can see you know the stuff that that Jason would would really harp on a lot about Lindor um, early on in our podcast tenure. You know him making the adjustments at the plate. You know you can watch him just kind of working through in a bat and thinking about it like a hitter and just analyzing everything and oh he's just he's so much fun to watch i love lindor lindor could be my favorite player in all of baseball to to watch right now but if you watch him too isn't it it's an infectious to watch his smile too he's literally enjoying having fun playing baseball just a fun kid to watch he really is yeah so if you if you get a chance uh if you're not traditionally an indians fan Flip over and watch an Indians game. Lindor will probably, there's a good chance, do something amazing in the game that you're watching. So much fun to watch. Okay, so let's uh, transition to our Seawolf shout-out so we can wrap this thing up. So, uh, some of us got to work tomorrow. That's right. Jobs. Overrated. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, as I stated earlier, Bob and I had a chance to, uh, we actually went to some Altoona Curve uh, Erie Seawolves matchups last week, which was a lot of fun. And... I guess before we talk about that, though, we should talk about the current state of the Seawolves. There's 13 and 16 right now. There's seven games back of Akron, um, who Akron is just playing out of their minds right now with uh, both Frazier and Zimmer there. Um, but so it, the Seawolves just finished up a four game series with uh, Altoona this past week. Um, the second game, which I went to the first, I think, four or five innings of the second game against Altoona. Uh they just feasted on David Whitehead who must have just been in there to get his pitch count because man, <laughs> if he wasn't, they would have yanked him out of that game way earlier. Erie ended up just decimating Altoona 14 to nothing that game. Um, the game that we went to, we went to the first game of the series, uh, Bob and I together, right? Yes. So the Buck- first, yeah. First game of the series was Buck night, which by the way, an awesome night at, at Jerry when you can go on Buck nights. And actually, by the seventh inning, they were selling hot dogs uh, two for a dollar. So yeah. it was 50 cent night by the end of the <laughs> by the end of the game. And you know what? I probably didn't need that fifth hot dog. Same here. <laughs> but when they're 50 cents, you, you're almost a fool not to buy one. You know what I'm saying? You get a Smith's hot dog. It's delicious. So, uh, yeah, Buck Night. And uh, yeah, um, so, you know, I was there primarily because I wanted to watch Austin Meadows, um, who was kind of quiet offensively. Uh, the night, the first night that we were there, uh, the first night of the series, he went 0 for 3 with a walk. And then he finished the series 1 for 4 in each of the last uh, three games of the series. So he didn't really do anything too outstanding offensively. Um, the second day uh, in the, the blowout, so it didn't really even matter a whole lot, but he made a nice sliding catch um, in the outfield coming in on a ball. So, you know, a good defensive play. It was neat to see him kind of slide and make that catch and see that he kind of has that first step that that you're hoping he has as a center fielder. Um, the Seawolves are in Akron right now, so they just finished up a series with uh, Bowie. And I don't... Did you have the game score up for the Seawolves tonight, Red? Tonight I did. I'll bring it back. I know Zimmer and Fraser have big games. They had a... Akron hit them hard. They had a they had a day for Akron, Clint Frazier and and Bradley Zimmer. I know Zimmer Homer today. I want to say it was his seventh. Here it is. 
Okay. Um, Zimmer homered again. It was his seventh in the year already. He also stole a base, his 12th. Oh, wow. He has oh, 12 yeah. stolen bases already? And he had a lot last year. I think last year he must have stole right around 30 or 40 bases last year, too. Wow. So he was three for four, two runs, a home run, four ribbies, a walk, a strikeout, and a stolen base. He's hitting right now 248, but I think he's getting hotter. Frazier was one for three, three runs, a double, RBI, two walks, strikeout, and his third stolen base of the year. God, if you get a chance to see that Akron team, please do yourself a favor and and go watch. And someone that Jason's mentioned before in the past, I think that Yandy Diaz is man third base right now in Akron, and he is performing really well too. So there's a third person really to check out while you're watching the Rubber Ducks. Yeah, that's a uh, you know we've we've talked about that pretty much all uh, all season that this was going to be kind of the roster that I think you're going to want to watch uh, in Double A this year, and they're. They're living up to that expectation, that's for sure. You've got Frazier and Zimmer highlighting that roster, but it might know. be fun to watch Altoona in Akron play. Oh yeah, that's going to be. You got Harold Ramirez, Austin Meadows. You know, you've got the Clint Frazier, Bradley Zimmer. That would be a, that'd be a good matchup for sure. Um, so yeah, not a great night for the Seawolves tonight again, but you know that's all right. It's uh, you're gonna take some lumps like that, I guess, in the minors, but. Um, so they're traveling to Akron. They're in Akron right now. They'll be returning home to face Bowie this weekend. And then they stay home for a three game series against the Harrisburg senators. Uh, you may, if you get a chance, want to take a look at and, and see where everybody's lining up in the pitching rotation for Harrisburg. I know I'll definitely be paying close attention because, uh, Lucas Giolito, the Harrisburg, uh, senators, uh, starting pitcher and one of the nationals best, uh, prospects. Uh, if he ends up pitching, you'll probably want to head out to the ballpark and, and watch him play. So I know I'll be paying close attention to see if uh, there's a game, this uh, upcoming Harrisburg series that I want to go to. And then the uh, last thing for the Seawolves, uh, Dean Green, mean Dean Green, Seawolves first baseman was selected as the Eastern league player of the week for uh, the week of April 25th to May 1st. Uh, the 26 year old was eight for 17 this week, hitting 471 or this past week. With one double, three home runs, six RBI, five runs scored, a stolen base. Stolen base. A stolen base in there for good measure. Oh, man. Boy, I feel if Dean Green steals a base, it's probably closer to defensive indifference than it is stealing a base. <laughs> uh, in case you didn't catch on to that, listeners, he's a, not a fleet-footed man. <laughs> yes. That Dean Green. He does not get paid to run. Uh, and he had a... Uh, 1,059 slugging percentage. Boy, that was, man, that, have yourself a weak Dean Green. So, uh, yeah, mean Dean Green. He's definitely a uh, player that's fun coming out to the ballpark to watch. Not quite Steven Moya fun, but still a lot of fun. And I guess before we wrap up, I could also mention Steven Moya killing it in Toledo. Yes, he's done a lot much better this year. Got to get that strikeout rate down, but, man, he hits the ball far when he hits it. And he okay. mentioned his name. Uh, Gilito pitched tonight, actually, for Harrisburg. He pitched tonight, so let's see. He pitched tonight, he pitched very well. Six innings, only allowed two runs, one walk, four Ks. Yeah, he had kind of a rough start for Harrisburg, too, so it's good to see yeah, him. Yeah, a lot, lot more walks than normal. Yeah, so I'll have to kind of take a look once we're done recording and see uh, where he's at if he matches up with coming to uh, Erie and starting a game. Okay, well, yeah, that's going to wrap us up tonight. We'd like to again thank our listeners and ask if you're listening to us on iTunes that you give us a rate and review. 
uh, we're recording uh, regularly now. We got the season rolling, so we got things going. So keep your ear to the ground for our next podcast. It could be coming sooner than you think because we should have, finally, our interview with Seawolves General Manager Greg Coleman coming up this week. So we're keeping our fingers crossed the schedule to work out. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at tristatebb. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball. So for Bob Finfiner, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon.